0: Hello and welcome to Purpose First. This is the show where I get to talk to all sorts of business leaders, thought leaders, mentors, coaches to find out about the models, methods and technologies that they use to scale up and really amplify their positive impact in the world. I'm interested in people who are looking to make a difference. I'm looking at people who put purpose before profit. In this episode, I'm really excited to be talking with Mark LaRousse of The Unconventionalists. Mark has a phenomenally successful podcast called The Unconventionalists. Clocking in at over 120 episodes now, Mark talks to all sorts of amazing purpose-driven people to find out what makes them tick and how they do what they do so well. Mark also, Runs the unconventionalists' company which helps purpose-driven leaders to really find and clarify their purpose and use that purpose to inspire their organisations. So this is vital work. When we put purpose first, all sorts of amazing thing fo- things follow. And I really believe that business is the answer to the world's biggest problems. I think we've left it to the governments for too long and really, it's, it's people like you. It's people running businesses entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs who can really make the difference now and so what Mark does is vital work and he's on top of the amazing work he does he's also a really awesome guy uh, really open he really he helped me to set up this podcast he's given me great advice all the way along so I was delighted that he's my first guest on the show we really talk about what happens when you put purpose first and how we can do that and some of the challenges that we can come across when we really change the perspective of an organization this is what mark specializes in and he and his team are doing this brilliantly so without further ado please welcome TEDx speaker podcast presenter and all-round awesome guy mark larousse So, I'm here today with Mark LaRoose from The Unconventionalist. Mark, thank you so much for coming. This You're is welcome. really exciting. This is our very first episode of Purpose First. Very so, cool. Thank Wanted you. Honored to be here.
1: Thank you so much for uh, having the courage to bring me on as your first guest.
0: <laughs> doing it. We're going in hard. Um, so, Mark, um, we met while learning how to set up all this podcast and all this kind of thing. So, it's awesome that that our podcast mentor is here on our, our first episode. Yeah. So Honor, man. Brilliant. So, what I was really excited about when we met was here's someone that goes in and brings purpose into their lives and then helps other people do the same thing. Mm. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. (laughs) This is, this is just what we're about. This is where the whole business is going. This is where, Mm. this is where the world needs to go. If, if we're all going to gonna make it through the next 10 or 20 years. Mm. So what I'd love to start with is how did you get to this point? Like, can you pinpoint a moment where you realise mm. you know what it's not all about profit or business in that old way, <laughs> but purpose? Purpose is yeah. where I want my life to be. Yeah, learned. yeah,
1: um, yeah. Actually, it's, it's funny. It's uh, you know I think I have that, have that classic kind of background story of. Um, You know, being told if you go to a university, you know, get a good degree, you'll get a good job. Mm -hmm. And if you get a good job, you know, you can spend 40 years, climb that ladder and just pray to get that gold watch, you know, as a retirement. And then enjoy (laughs) life. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, enjoy life when you're like, you know, 70 or something. And, um... And what's interesting is that there's just kind of like a little bit of a background story to this, is that when I grew up, I, my dream was to become an actor. Okay. Like I dreamt okay. of, I wanted to become an actor. I was sure I was going to become an actor. I sucked in school. I'm dyslexic. But back then, you know, this is pre kind of dyslexia. is was like a known mm. kind of public thing, really. Um, and I just knew that there was something else for me than the conventional kind of way of, of people were telling me my life should be lived. Okay. And I didn't know it then. But what happened is that um, there's a specific moment actually where I was on set as an extra on the Count of Monte Cristo of Gerard Depardieu no way hang on and so I'm sitting there on set and I'm waiting for something of like being called I do what and there's this um, extra there back he, he must have been in his 30s probably but back then I thought he was like in his 100th okay, year yeah, or something yeah. he looked really old compared to me and I was like maybe 12, I think, 11. I don't know. Anyway, and he said, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be an actor. I'm here because I want to you know, learn how to act. And, and he's like, nah, don't become an actor. It's the worst thing you could ever do. You'll always be waiting tables and only one in a billion make it. So forget about it. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid hearing that going, oh, shit. That wow. was my life plan. Like I, didn't have a B, like I didn't have a backup. you know." And so I, I kind of went from there. I went, oh, I need to do business because business people have lots of money and mm-hmm. lots of people, money must be happy. Surely that must be successful, right? Mm. And so that's kind of when I made the decision of, I want to study business at university. So I went to uni, did business, very quickly realized it's not for me. I went to see my counselor and he was like, no one likes their degrees. Mm. Just get through your degree, do lots of stuff on the side you love and then go and do something you really want to do. I just thought this is so weird.
0: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. totally. Like, Okay, yeah, go on. Because what what you've reminded me of is there was a a meme I saw yesterday, which um, a little girl in school And her teacher's passing back an essay and saying, you're brilliant at this. You should become a writer. Yeah. And the caption was, and at that very moment, Mari's entire life was ruined. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was
1: that. It was kind of, um, and so I did business, but I, I I completely lost myself in, in outside projects. I I became a radio host on local radio. There was a really crappy music scene at the university. So I started a a society. um, I don't think, maybe I've talked about this before, but, it was called the Kent Hip-Hop Society. Oh, yeah, absolutely! Kent Hip-Hop? Absolutely. Just a minute, what year KAA is this? K-A-H-S. This is 2000... <laughs> 2003, I think, 2004. Okay. So okay. Like that. Anyway, and so um, I graduated, you know, got a two one. did everything I was supposed to, which was pretty extraordinary for me. I got a job within three days, I think, of graduating in this, and I thought it was the dream. Okay. I thought I landed the best dream, you know, the best dream job in the world. I was going to travel around the world, meet the movers and shakers, interview ministers, politicians, CEOs, all that stuff. And I landed my first my first post was in Lithuania. So what were you doing? Yeah, so it was so they sold it as a kind of a. <laughs> like a glorified journalist kind of commercial journalist okay, okay, yeah. what it really was is a salesperson but effectively I don't know if you you're, you're familiar with printed press around advertorials mm-hmm. so effectively it's like you open a newspaper like the Wall Street Journal yeah. or the Guardian or the Independent and you'll have a feature on the Gambia the mm-hmm. Beacon of Hope of West Africa and like some flourishing report of their president Yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, that's another story I could go on about. But anyway, and so you would have these articles and these ads, and I would go in countries and sell those ads okay. to create editorial yeah. boxes. Yeah. And so it was in sales. And so I got there, and I think to come back to a long-winded answer to your question, I realized that there was something wrong, but I didn't know back then what it was. Like, I know what mm-hmm. it is now. It's just it wasn't aligned with my values and, and mm-hmm. who I was, et cetera. But so you just, weren't,
0: you just weren't feeling it. Yeah, you were doing Yeah, it,
1: it was the first time in my life where, where I thought, Something's not right here. Okay. Like, I, I, and I thought, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I not like enjoying this? I should be. And on the outside, everything looked amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I had a driver. We had people cooking for us, cleaning for us. I had everything paid for. I was hanging out with, you know, celebrities. Getting my, I mean, it just it was a ridiculous lifestyle. Mm. I remember meeting Daniel Craig in a pub in Lithuanian Vilnius, and watching rugby, watch Australia uh, lose actually. Um, and and it was just like this incredible lifestyle. But what happened? was that very quickly I realized... But now, looking back, it's kind of... Yeah, it wasn't my values, but I realized that something's off. Something's not right. And I don't know what it is. It's that little feeling inside of me that on the outside, I looked like super successful. Yeah. Everybody thinks that, oh my God, you must love it. You know, I was living in Lithuania. Then I went to Kazakhstan. I went to South Africa, the Gambia, Bahrain, Cyprus, living in all these countries. And people, first of all, didn't believe it. And then when they did believe it, they're like, that must be incredible. Mm. And I remember my parents coming to visit me in Cyprus. And... um it was one of my last posting and I just I was feeling really kind of a bit yeah just a bit lost inside I guess and this guilt trip of I should be happy because everybody yeah, yeah, everybody totally. everybody says like I should be happy but
0: I'm not and I think you touched yeah. on this on your TED talk actually yeah I think this idea that like I'm, we had a great day yesterday yeah. um, my daughter's 21st birthday all around London so we were posting yeah the yeah. one How your daughter? complete complete yeah. head blow Um and, you know, of course, we post all these amazing pictures of us all around London doing this, yeah. um, in, doing these interviews at this conference. Yeah. And you just know that if I look back on my Facebook feed, yeah. you'll see just all these amazing things going yeah. to different countries and all that. But we don't post, I'm really alone today. Yeah. Like, I'm so stressed. I Everything's going to fall apart. We just don't post that yeah. because who, who, would, who would post that kind of stuff on Facebook? Mm. And so... In, I can see it in that position you're feeling like this and everyone's going oh Mark's yeah. up on the back you know yeah, awesome. yeah 100% and especially like my parents
1: come you know my dad didn't go to uni um, you know had the same job like maybe change jobs once and so they saw my lifestyle I had, I had 200 square meter flat in the centre of Nicosia in Cyprus I had a telescopic staircase that came down with the rooftop opening up with a dinosaur sized barbecue and okay no, that, that is pretty it cool was, but it was okay. insane it was yeah, crazy and then yeah. my parents were like how can you not be happy? Mm. And and the thing, you know, the thing that's when I realized that, wow, actually happiness is about what you have, but it's rather how you feel, and especially about how you feel about yourself. It's a bit, it's a bit deep shit, but it really yeah, that's what yeah. it was. And so, you know, I went, my last post-it was in Peru. It's a long story, but basically I had a relationship end uh, in a pretty dramatic way. Uh, I came back home. Uh, my grandfather, I think, passed away pretty quickly after that. And uh, I was back to square one at my parents' house. And it was just... Yeah, it felt a bit a bit weird, man. I was I was back at my parents' house after having this lifestyle. So you didn't have any of that stuff? Even the telescopic to get a staircase no, had gone? No, okay. no, I was back okay. home. Back home and I pissed my money in stupid shit that I really didn't need to, to spend on. And I went through what can only be described as, yeah, a bit of a depression, actually. felt really bad, really mm-hmm. felt down. And, and it was this realization there's no way to turn to. Like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I was supposed to be this guy, this success story, this kind of mm-hmm. prodigal son returns. Mm-hmm. And it's it's yeah it can feel pretty isolated actually and i think that's you know not to kind of jump the story but that's how i ended up falling in love with november the kind of the work i did for four years around getting to speak about something that's kind of deep and serious but in a fun approachable relatable kind of way okay so i don't know if i answered your question i I feel like i just you totally have (laughs) you totally
0: have and so what i'd like to fine tune there is so in oh, theory, purpose, wasn't
1: it like how? You can do this. You can do this because I think yeah. this comes out of this. Yeah.
0: In theory, you had it all. Yeah, but you totally didn't. No, and so fierce grace comes in. Yeah, and goes. That's not it. Let's take it away. Yeah, what's left? Yeah, I think I think you have
1: you have, you have to really have a the courage to have an inner journey. Yes. of exploration of actually who you are, and I think it's I think it's so e- easy to numb actually yourself with, whether that's social media whether that's alcohol sex drugs. Um, or social
0: media, yeah. actually, like totally. the band, you know the kind of the dopamine hit yeah. over and over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as long as we're as long as we're up here yeah. doing all this, then there's no reason to look yeah. down below, and so we don't. So, yeah. which is why, yeah, it it feels like a grace, and I'm so I'm sure so many of us have been. there. it seems so common, mm. which is why I thought it'd be good to fine tune mm. into there. Mm. So common that when we end up where you know where we're headed in yeah. the conversation, which is the purpose, somehow. It, we need to hit that rock bottom. Yeah. I'm just remembering um, uh, Scott Harrison, the, the, thirst, the charity water yeah, yeah. guy, yeah. and his story. You know, again, he had it all. He's running clubs, yeah. he's meeting DJs, yeah. champagne, yeah. everything, and he's just he's just hurting inside. Yeah. He just didn't want. But that. there's there's
1: a quote. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to completely butcher it, but there's a quote by Jim Carrey. I love. He's like, I wish everyone. Could be rich and successful, so they realize that that's not the answer to life. It's something like okay, that. It's, it's yes. not, I mean, I'm sure. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Jim, if you're listening to this, but um, but effectively, it's true, and it, and it's. I think it's easy for us to say that we've got to keep in mind where we are. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you and I are both male, living in you know, in Western society, and uh, it's very easy. We can actually ask ourselves questions of self-actualization and so forth, and a lot right. of people can't. And the reason why I say this is that. Um, you know, having lived in, in emerging economies, having seen a lot of poverty, seen a lot of different sides of the world, you kind of, you appreciate that actually, and this is true, people say this and it's true, in in countries that I lived with, the people have the least, people were the kindest. Right. Like really, generally, like they were like mm-hmm. super warm, smiley, um, you know, it's nice to be nice, it used to be like this phrase they used to say in Gambia. Um, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a little bit scary how I find myself caught up in the idea that I need more, to feel more, to be happy. And actually, I think that's what a lot of companies are realizing been you know, having conversations with a few you know, company directors and HR directors, head of people and culture and stuff. And it's around, we've got them beanbags and they've got a ping pong table <laughs> and they're still not happy. You know? And it's kind of like, yeah, cool, but what are you doing about bringing more meaning and purpose in your work? And you laugh because you get it. Mm. But a lot of people don't. Like, a lot of people think that, let me throw shit at mm. our people and hope that it's going to be a plus that's going to be big enough to cover the actual wound that we need to heal. Nice.
0: It's so I was talking to one of my best friends just a couple of days ago, and um, one of our developers had handed in his notice. And um, I was like, wow, you know, I thought we were doing so well. My friend just went, you have got a ping pong table, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's true. It's about, but it's about your, your spot on it. Yeah. It's, 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 there's something underneath, and we yeah. can't... We can't Dust over it mm. for very long. Something mm. has to has to give, right? Yeah.
1: Well, some, something I didn't mention actually, just because I, I think it's very it's very easy and romantic to kind of look at a story and simplify it. What did happen, which is actually a funny story, it's um, when I was going through a bit of a tough time. I eventually moved out, lived with a, with a mate in town. I was working at a local business school. It's kind of one of the world's biggest business school called INSEAD. And um, one of our, uh, my mum's friends, like kind of childhood friends. Uh, not children, sorry. She used, they, they used to live in the same area that we used to live when I was a kid. That's what I meant. Lived in America, was coming back to visit. And my mum said, hey, Come over, Roya's coming over for dinner. It'd be lovely to have you both over for dinner. So I went over, and my mum goes to Roya, Oh, yeah, uh, Mark's depressed. Roya, you need to fix him. And Mark, Roya's going to fix you. She's some coach or something. So she was a life coach. And she chained with the CTI, the Coaching Training Institute. And, um, and she kind of laughed and she kind of asked me what was going on. I kind of, And she took me on as a client for like, two years okay. and and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart it really changed my life it changed my life because for the first time I had an opportunity to speak with someone it was an hour every couple of weeks it wasn't like you know every day or every week but I, I could speak to someone who would create a space that was totally open non-judgmental and where I got to explore whatever the hell I wanted mm. you know I don't know what the swearing policy is I'm just gonna be careful of my swearing no swearing but it's um it's it's, it's it, it was really kind of Mind-blowing, actually, that, oh, it's okay for me to, to dream. It's okay for me to have these conversations around what I really want to be and mm. why, I, you know, and so that actually journey led me to explore the concept of values, right? And the concept of values where people can go, oh, is that the thing you stick on walls and you put, like, transparency, authenticity, <laughs> you go to leadership, you pay loads of money, and then you, for the rest of the year, you're supposed to re- resonate with them? No, values is, it's an extremely personal thing. There's organizational values and there's personal values. Personal values effectively, what are the things that if you live your life according to, you feel like you're living a richer, more fulfilled and meaningful life. Mm. It's as simple as that. You know, and everybody's got different kinds. Some of them are very similar. Usually if you hang out with people of a similar kind of uh, fiber DNA, you'll realize that, oh yeah, we've got some very common values. And so that was like, oh, so that's why in this position I wasn't fulfilled. Mm. That's mm. why I'm having issues in this current role because my personal map of my values just doesn't match with the company culture and values and the mission. And And that's when I got interested in like, Oh, so how do you actually find work meaningful to you? You actually figure out what is it that matters to you, what are your values, what are some of the organizations out there doing a mission that you feel purposeful and driven by? Okay. And and then how do you uh, how do you you know match that? And that's how I ended up working at November through
0: a video C V idea that went viral. Yeah. And the rest is, yeah, history. Awesome. So basically what you did with your video C V, instead of blasting out the classic skills and all that you basically said this is me and these are my values right these these are the yeah
1: it, 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 to be honest it wasn't even essence. that yeah so now when i look back at it it's kind of like actually yeah if i look at it now i'd say hey this is me yeah and love it or hate it this is who i am um but actually what happened back then is i'm dyslexic as i told you conventional paper cvs just aren't going to work for me and so i needed to do something different to stand out mm-hmm. and i was like behind my nine to five kind of job Uh, back at that point and um, (laughs) the idea of doing a video CV came to me so this is 2011 like people listening to this watching this I don't know when they'll be watching this but this is 2011 no one were really doing video CVs back Mm. then it wasn't at all a thing so Mm. when I came up with the idea of doing a video CV there weren't really examples around everyone said it was a stupid idea everyone thought it was going to bomb and I just believed I just knew it Mm. like there's a thing at the moment right now that I know is going to happen in the next 10 years and I'll tell you about at some point if you want to hear it but I just knew it. And I convinced two friends, one who did the website, one who did the video CV and uh, Mickey and and Dennis Duochelle. And so we did this, we launched it and it went viral. It just, it just went a bit crazy. And mm. so that landed me uh, an interview with one of the founders of November and he gave me the job on the spot and uh, quit my job, went to the pilgrim to Australia
0: and then started moved to London and that was it. That was like 2012. So, so at that point, would it be fair to say that that was your first experience? of working in a place where yes. you have shared values. Yes. shared um... yeah.
1: Well, actually, so, okay, love what you just said. Here's a really important point. Okay. This is why I say to people. Um, branding and marketing gets people in. Culture keeps people in. Right. Yes. Okay, so you can have the best external value kind of messaging that you want in the world. If people rock up and actually feel that there's a difference and there's a big gap between what you say you are and who mm. you actually are, there's a massive dissonance. So... It's the first time I, I realized that, whoa, I can do work that I love for a company I love for a mission I believe in. That's really cool. And so that was amazing. And, but even in working in an organization, even working in a purposeful organization, wherever there are people, there is pain. But there's also hope. And What I mean by that is that there are always ways that you can actually make people feel more seen, respected and heard in an organization. And I think that's what drove me later on to eventually quit my to start my own business to try and help founders, business leaders and organizations
0: to clarify their purpose that they could better inspire their people. Yeah, that's beautiful. I've, I've got goosebumps. OK, so let's let's go into that then what, what you're doing now. Yeah, because I think um, in my company, we've been on a journey the last 18 months where we had this real recognition that mm. actually, yes, we didn't quite have the ping pong table, but we weren't. <laughs> You know, we, Jean, Jeannie and I, we have certain values and there's a, there's a kind of, a I guess, a, a spiritual side to yeah. our lives yeah. and there was work and they were running in parallel but not, yeah. not, not together. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, we lived with compassion and empathy and we definitely brought that into workplace because that's sure. you know, the kind of person. But there wasn't a conscious, how do we make this, these two things the yeah. same, how do we make this our work? Yeah, and it, and and from that, when you when you bring that authenticity, which yeah. is I guess my one word summary of what, of what you just just described, yeah. into the workplace and encourage other people to be themselves, not what they should be, yeah, then all of a sudden you've got a culture of meaning, yeah, and the meaning can be aligned with the purpose. That's
1: yeah, I mean yeah, I, I love what you're saying. I think I think there's there's so many I could unpack on that. One of them is that most people think <laughs> that what you love and what you do have to be separated and different. Right. I think that's one of the biggest lies that I've been sold to growing up, mm-hmm. that actually no one likes their jobs, right? It's like you do stuff on the side, and that's true for many people. You know what, like my yeah. family, like yeah. my brother, Like loves his job, enjoys his job, but actually he also finds meaning and purpose in his family, meaning and purpose in his music. My dad was the same. He did a job that he didn't particularly enjoy, but he loved being a jazz player. And that's what he did. So he found purpose and meaning in that. So I think for people to uh, fully put their identity in their work doesn't have to be. I just want to make that clear because I think there's too much of like, you should do what you love, grow in the world, quit your jobs. Well, some people find it different ways. But for people like us, I guess, who have a deep desire and yearning to do meaningful work that they feel aligned with, Mm -hmm. then I absolutely want to say, I am proof, your proof, and I've got over a hundred episodes on my podcast, proof that there are people out there who've decided to stop the rat race and find a, a, a more meaningful avenue to do work that matters. Now, the second part of what you said, which I think is really important, it's is basically what I stand for. It's to be able to allow your people to bring their whole selves to work. Mm. I think I've been in, I spent 10 years in corporate, nonprofit and private sector feeling like I had to check myself out or I, I wasn't enough or I was too much or whatever it was. And actually, when you when you speak with people, what they want more than anything is to be themselves and to allow to be themselves. And I think if you create a culture in the workplace, but this starts with leadership. It starts with defining your meaning and your purpose, and your values and blah, blah, blah. You're going to attract the right people who are going to have the right behaviors. who are going to believe in the same thing. and The culture will thrive from that. Right. But you've got to have this belief that actually and actually can I, can I share a story like a really Please, quick story? Yeah, there's this is a story that this is kind of. Because I'd love to talk about the story. I haven't shared this before, but like the story of how I ended up doing what I'm doing. But the so I was speaking with uh, I get asked a lot to go and talk in companies and organizations. Right. I get asked to go and talk about can you come and talk about how to better lead and inspire millennials, especially like how do you find more meaning and purpose in your workplace? How do you build a purpose driven workplace? These kind of topics. So I usually have a conversation and uh this is what the conversation always sounds like it's kind of like mark we'd love for you to come in and they'll usually list a few issues that they're experiencing which okay. every organization doesn't matter how mission driven they are will experience mm-hmm. and that is um we're experiencing turnover we're experiencing some level of apathy uh we're, there's a shift in culture since we have growing mm-hmm. uh we're accelerating our rate etc cetera, etc cetera. and so What usually happens next? is then I go, yeah, that's totally normal. You know, this happens. Then we have a conversation. And like, we'd love for you to come in. And we'd love for you to do a session because we want you to, we want to invest in our people. We believe in our people. We believe in growing our people. Yeah. But we don't want it to be at the expense of them leaving. And you get that. From a business perspective, I get that. From a fair perspective, I get that. But here's what you're saying when you say that. What you're saying when you say that is, I love you. I care about you. But only as much as I can control you. So imagine you and your wife. You told your wife. And she said, I want to go on this personal development journey. I want to grow. And you're like, oh, amazing, honey. I'm so happy for you. But make sure that if you grow, you don't end up leaving me. And I don't want you to grow too much. <sighs> this is but too painful. But yeah, you get you that, right? Yeah and, so, yeah, and so, yeah, and so what I have to then educate people is to say, as, as business counterintuitive as it feels and sounds like, the opposite is true. Yes. Invest in your people, grow your people to the point where they absolutely could leave if they wanted to, but they won't because of how you treat them. And that's the conversation that basically led me to start doing what I'm doing, because what happened is that I was coaching. So I, after I discovered coaching through Roya, photos, and uh, I became a coach myself, trained, was moonlighting as a coach in the morning, in the evening, I ran a retreat, wrote a book, blah, 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 the cliche stuff, while having a full-time job trying to eradicate male cancer and mental health issues, right? And so while that's happening, I made up. That I couldn't work in corporates. That corporates were toxic, and that mm. they wouldn't want to invest in their people. I was too broken by the system, and that I was going to help people escape that system and build businesses of meaning and purpose and becoming and all this stuff. And I did that for mm-hmm. about six years. But here's what happened: What I realized is that I was solving um, what is it problems, not symptoms. I never know what the, the the way around is. But I was effectively I was picking up the pieces.
0: Yes, so I was at okay. the bottom of
1: this of this corporate broken kind of system, picking up pieces, and actually. Very recently, it's when I was invited to do a corporate about three years ago and I spoke and I was the only one with a beard, with a t-shirt, jeans, trainers. There was like the Minister of Pension there, founders of some amazing banks and they wanted me and I didn't understand why. I wrote a book about four years ago about like how to quit your job and do work you love and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. And it turns out, I went on stage and I just shared my story, talked about why we all need to really think about how we're going to re- re- reshape work for the future. And people came up to me like it was so refreshing, it's so mm-hmm. different. And I thought, wait a minute, actually, companies are made of people, and those people just need as much as as help as anybody else. And actually, there's there's another short story which I share, which is the day before a workshop I was supposed to lead with a with a leader and their team. The leader took me aside, and she said, "What is the workshop going to be? What are you going to talk about?" And I said the typical stuff, you know. Well, we're going to talk about what's happening. What are the values? You know, what's the purpose? How are we going to align ourselves? You know, why does this matter? What you know, it's basically why are we doing? uh, Why does it matter? uh, And what is my role involved, right? And she goes, "Great. I was afraid that you're going to get people to talk about their feelings because we just haven't got time for that." (sighs) And so you see, so I so I had the initial same reaction, and and I think everyone usually when I say the story, everybody has the same reaction. But the truth is, what happened? Two things. One, I realized that actually this is not gender specific it's not age specific mm-hmm. everybody has a fear based response to when it comes down to actually allowing the people to open up and share about what's really going on the second thing is it was really easy for me to judge her to actually go Wow that's a bit poor leadership isn't it but actually being a leader is really lonely and it's really scary yeah and I think most organizations don't realize that what they do is that they uh, take their employees who are very successful at what they do they then promote them to leaders expecting them to have the same skills overseeing humans as they are of processes and protocols and systems that they are
0: good at their job it, and no, they struggle. The Peter Principle, is that, is that I it? I know, that? Yeah. Everyone's promoted to their level of incompetence. <laughs>
1: yeah. I love that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Exa- but exactly. And so
1: th- then what happens, I go into the company and I talk about this wacky stuff, purpose, meaning, all this stuff, and then it just lands and it resonates. Okay. And so then the mission that I'm on at the moment, so this is my, my big crazy vision is to help shape organizations that I'd be honored and proud for my daughter to work in
0: oh that's that's nice. what I'm doing so I've got 20 yes. years I've got a 20 year window More, more
1: goosebumps. yeah yeah so, okay. so so what I'm looking for people to come on board and help me do this and one of the ways that I'm doing this is I'm trying to go into companies and help them not change and help them to understand the difference between being long long-term focus and short-term focus and I'm gonna tell you this and I don't think I said this publicly basically I think that in the next 10 years it will be absolutely standard For people to expect when they go into a company to have a one-to-one access to a personal coach to have a personal development program in place i'm not talking about oh here are the areas and skills you need to grow in your job no Mm -mm. part of the package the same way that you now think that pension medical care all that stuff maybe like a subsidized gym membership they will be what is your personal development program because with the rise of AI, automation, um, artificial intelligence, all that stuff, it's going to happen that we're going to have to ask ourselves deeper questions about why are we here,
0: why does this matter, and how do we act as more humans in the workplace. That's, that's beautiful. That is beautiful, and I completely agree. Mm. Um, when, when we did that in our company, 18 months ago, we started that one-to-one coaching sessions mm. once a month with each of our employees mm. that starts with the question, what, what are you really about? Yeah. What are you really at? Things transformed yeah. at that point. Because, and just to touch on something that you you said in the the middle of that, this this idea of, well, actually, we don't want them to really get in touch with their feelings because they might leave. There's what happens is, is kind of an accentuation mm. of who they really are and what they're yeah. really about. And so two things can happen at, at that point. They yeah. either completely are aligned with the company's values and turn around 10 yeah. times more things than yeah. previously, yeah. or they don't and they move yeah. on. Do
1: you know the joke? There's like this uh, kind of very famous jokes where two managers talk about investing in training their people and one says, what if we train them and they leave? And the other one says, but what if we don't and they stay? Right. And that's, yeah. that's and that's, I've got to say it's like, you know, and, and for me, it's it's a challenge because you have to educate people about a problem they're not willing sometimes to hear. And so it's hard because my, my, my job is to not make people wrong. I'm not hitting, I'm not in the business to make people wrong. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to like really I'm generally trying to help to try and create or environments and workplaces where people feel like they can bring their full selves to work, where their voice matters and where the work they do has a reason for being. And it's like, if you can get those elements in place, like if you can create an environment where, hey, I want you to show up like who you are, don't want to check yourself out, I need all of you. And also, hey, by the way, like I do a lot of work around millennials, I'm a millennial, and I also think there's a lot of uh, blind spots that we need as millennials to be helped with. And you know, whether that's social media boundaries, uh, whether that's actually understanding the the gift of patience, all, all this kind of stuff that it's a fact that we struggle with. So I'm not here to say that millennials are amazing and perfect and flawless. What I am saying is that you're gonna have two types of organizations. Number one, the organization that basically goes, oh, we get this. They're the most purpose-driven generations that we've ever had. And the reason that they don't have to worry about some of the basic needs means that they can focus on Mm self-actualization. So our job is to get out of the way so we can actually make them as powerful and impactful as we can by allowing them to flourish, by allowing them to explore who they are, but also get the work done. Or, which I'm also seeing, Organizations go, resist this in denial, mm-hmm. and they will die. It will perish. I mean, you're seeing it now. Some companies are, are hiring chief happiness officers, chief uh, experience officers. like These kind of roles have seen wacky. And actually, there's a, there's a, there's a program called Billions.
0: Mm-hmm. I Love it. Billions.
1: Cool. Yes. So I forgot the name of the woman who works in the company as a coach and kind of Tony Robbins style. Okay, Do you yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, but here's, here's why I find this very interesting. So they portray, for people who have no idea talked talking about this, is this, a TV series about billions, about basically the corruption around uh, trading in America, but also the corruption in, in government, all this stuff. And this very uh, big kind of successful hedge fund company uh, have hired uh, a personal coach, basically a life coach, and yeah, life yeah, totally. but she's paid loads of money and she's completely non-biased. No, she is biased because she's got stakes in the company, but she's there to basically fine-tune people. So... Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think it's an interesting model because if you often look at people who are very successful companies who are very kind of high tech, they'll develop things that may seem um, unapproachable now, but when then will be democratized throughout the different organizations. So I think the role of having someone who comes in who will be an impartial and, and non-judgmental person with the company will have no links whatsoever to the company, no stakes, and will not report whatsoever to leadership, it's going to become a stand. Until then, there'll be organizations such as myself, such as Sanctus, and, and so forth who will be able to help our organization by providing these spaces for
0: people to open up and talk. It's, it's happening and it's coming. Totally. And what's beautiful about that character, I can't remember her name either, no. but... Yes, she's completely separate, and you think life coach, compared to these guys that are buying buildings and dealing with billions of dollars, uh, but she's pivotal in the company. There are certain things, she'll say a sentence, and that will change the entire path of the lives of everyone in that building, for the better. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's yeah. But, but I've so, got to say so I don't so my, what I refer to is very different than what she does. Because yeah, she is, so this is what I'm, my is not at all that style. What I talk about coaching is not about because what she has, she has an agenda. Mm-hmm. Her agenda is very specific to fine-tune each member so they perform at the highest level, regardless of what's needed. And so she says a few things, she's much more okay, judgmental, yeah. she's opinionated. But the concept of it, if you can understand the concept of what that is, distill that into an actual of course. There will be a human mm. like a chief human officer that will be in place as people need to have more connection. Really quick, I've been interviewing a bunch of uh, head of uh, companies and, and HR and all, all sorts. This, is fascinating. this happened yesterday, fascinating story. This girl um, uh, basically was telling me about how that's it. She's been working with students over the past decade, if not more. And she said, in the last two years, there's been a monumental rise of mental health issues with the students she sees coming, more than ever, more than ever. And I asked her, I said, why do you think that is? And she said, well, I'm not an expert, but what I can notice, and she said, by the way, this is not just a few. She says, it's an alarming number of people who are lacking confidence. She said, there's two types of people. There are people who go, I've got amazing grades, I'm amazing at what I do, I will get the job no matter what I know. Mm. And then there is a huge pool of students who feel insecure, Mm. who feel like they're not enough who don't have enough confidence in themselves to go into the job market. And what she says with that comes like a lot of mental health issues around this. And she said, and I asked her, like, what do you think that is? And her answer was, well, an increase in competition, but more importantly, an increase in visibility of others through this fake lens of social media. Okay. And how everybody's smashing life, how everybody's beautiful, how everybody's perfect, because it's a showreel.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Hashtag a showre- living the dream. Yeah, like hashtag it. living
1: the dream, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, so, mm-hmm. and so when you when you hear that, you go, of course, the workplace, Simon Sinek was like very prolific about this, but companies have to pick up the slack of what we have neglected as society as both from parents, friends, whatever it is, companies have to create environments where we both have to be the parent, the mentor, the boss, the leader, the friend. And how do you create that? You create a family friend type of environment and culture.
0: Okay. So I'm imagining that people listening to this now, yeah, um, are going. This is right. This it, yeah. it intuitively feels yeah. right. It mu- it must do, and so people are bringing you in yeah. to help them do this. Yeah. So can you can you like give us an idea of yeah. h- like how I'm just thinking. Yeah, what, so, how do you do it? So first of all, that like and
1: and I and I really want to resonate. What like this is uh, James Rutledge, the founder of Scientists, kind of said this beautifully. And that so he says it has to start with leadership. Like, if, leader, if the leaders are not on board, it's really hard. And I've seen this across my member when I was trying to get into it. It's the same thing. First of all, it, even though it's a grassroots movement that needs to pick up from the bottom up, because the very traditional business model is to go top down. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to go in a meeting room with our boss, with like the CEO, the CIO, the CFO, the C-whatever-o. And we're going to come up with the values of the company, the mission, and we're going to go back and tell everybody, and this is what you need to do. Yes. These are your values. These are your values. Yeah, by yes. the way, these are your values. Yeah. This is who you are. This is what you exactly. care about. But now. it's so ridiculous. But this is how it's been done. But no, instead of that, leadership needs to go, I understand that actually, if we're going to uh, strive and thrive and survive in the next 10 to 20 years, attract the best talent, you know, engage the best talent. And, and retain the best talent, then we need to shift the way that we work and we are at the office. So the, what we do is that we kind of go in there and, and basically I talk with the leadership about what are the priorities and then we want to make sure they're the right fit mm. because some companies want to do it for the wrong reasons. And, but I say this and it's true. It's kind of like, oh, we want to invest in people because we want to get more out of them. And I, I think it makes total business sense that if you understand that if you invest in your people now, on the long run, your bottom line will be impacted in a positive way, 100%. There's a McKenzie study that backs this up. Mm-hmm. It's a fact. So that I agree with you. It's important to match the expectations of the business and the priorities with what we're actually trying to achieve here in the workplace. However, if they've got the right values, they're like they're hungry for it and they get it. Then what happens is that we go in, I do a workshop or a talk with the whole team, basically explain about the story about what we do, why we do it, a bit of the background what we do. And then we do a a kind of a 12 month program where through these 12 months, we actually provide one-to-one personal coaching with each team member if they want to access to it with four workshops throughout the year one, a quarter with different specific topics that enable to shift the culture around. And then we just sustain that by, if they want, continue the coaching relationship where we can keep and
0: monitor about how things are going internally. Mm Yeah, but it's as simple as that. So what you've got basically is a superhero program, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're going in. You're you're meeting with these people, and you're yeah. you're you're really you're basically finding out what makes them come alive yeah. as themselves, their authentic yeah. selves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because but you've got you got to do on. So the thing is, you've got to do it on. It's a bit of a multi-dimensional model if you think about it. But effectively you've got the leadership. You've got to work on the leadership. You've got to work on on the culture. You've got to work on the purpose, and you've got to work on behaviours. And so that's the kind of the model that we're looking at. And so when we talk about four different workshops, one of the first workshops is like, okay, why, why, we, why do we do what we do? And why does that matter? Right? So, one of the first things we want to get really clear, even if they've got, but we've got a mission, it's really clear. Is it though? Mm-hmm. Are you people like I can, I can bet you right now that if I go and speak to all your people and I ask them individually, what's the mission and your vision of your company, most likely they'll give me different stories. Right? So, the first one is, why are we doing what we're doing? The second thing is, why does it matter? Like, why does it matter? Why is this important? Why is it important that we do this? And the third one is, how do I fit into this? Why does my role matter to make this happen? Now, the first two should all be answered the same way across the whole organization. I don't care who you are, where you are. It doesn't matter if you're at the reception desk, if you're leading the board meeting, it doesn't matter. Everyone should be able to answer why we do what we do and why does it matter? The third one, how does my role work into this? That's individual. That's personalized. One of the things that we do is actually figuring it out. What is my personal statement? When it comes down to my personal purpose and my personal role with this organization, how does my role make it a difference? Because otherwise, what happens is that most people feel like oh, I'm just a cog in, in a big machine. Yes. Even if I'm in a purposeful job, how does my mail newsletter that I send once a week actually make a difference? How does me answering the phone to support customers or or try members, you know, how does that make a difference? And so, you do that. That's just one of them. Mm-hmm. There's kind of four workshop, but then in between, you do the continuous space where you get people to open up. Because what happens is that here's where it gets vulnerable. For a lot of leaders. But I've had, you know, leaders who brought us in, I've got to really give them credit because they they see it, they get it, and it's like it's forward-thinking leadership. And and I know that it's scary, I know it's hard, especially when you're an HR director, head of people of culture, and that you go, this should be my role. I should be able to do this. But here's the hard reality. One of my colleagues that I'm, I'm probably gonna bring on bring on board, she used to be an in HR in, in like big companies like Amazon and so forth. And she was, when I told her, I started telling the story about why I want to do this. She got so excited because she said, the biggest problem about working in HR is that you know that people will never open up to you the way that you wish they could because you could really figure out what's going on because you're linked to leadership. You're linked to the company. So you represent the company. So if I come to you and I say, I'm feeling depressed, I'm going to be scared that you might pass me for a promotion. I might be scared that you're going to tell somebody else and that's going to impact me negatively on the long run. So how can you open up honestly wholeheartedly to someone representing a company. You can't, not the time being, not until we have um, unbiased, independent, in-house chief human officers, whatever you want to call them. Until that time, you create these spaces by providing in-house one-to-one coaches, accessible to all. That's what I'm talking about because a lot of people will go for C-suite leadership. It'll cost a bomb for an hour, but actually make it accessible, make it accessible to all, provide an opportunity for everybody
0: to be able to talk about how they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that you've made wow okay <laughs> yeah I've had a big light bulb go off yeah um, it's it's the Chinese wall yeah that feels like a really key ingredient to mm. this because yes okay I run my own business yeah how can I expect mm. someone that works for me yeah. even someone that's worked for me for years that yeah. I trust that we have yeah. a good relationship with to say I'm not really feeling this job anymore, yeah. for example. Yeah. Or you know, I don't really want to be doing what I'm doing right now. I want to be doing something different. As a leader, I'm saying, I'm thinking, if you tell me that you're not enjoying what you're doing right now, I can change it. Yeah. I can give you what you need. But it's it's so, what, you, what
1: you're talking to is trust.
0: Okay, so Google
1: basically st- talked about a lot of this. There's like research studies around basically the, the, the bottom line of efficient teams, of high-performing teams is trust. And, it, and I remember going to a workshop, giving to a company, and this, this, this manager came to me. He's like, "How do I get people to trust me more?" And, and, I, and I kind of laughed, but at the same time, I was like, "Well, actually, just shorten the gap and eradicate, if you can, between who you say you are and who you actually are, and what you say you do and what you actually do. Start with that, okay?" And then um, companies are doing it. Like some companies and leaders are super authentic in that way and being very vulnerable. But you've got to understand that people and, and we're all human. So even as a leader of an organization, if someone comes and tells you what you're doing wrong, why they don't like it, the part of you will take it personally. Yes. It's, it's But it's normal, it's, it's okay, Human. 100%, yeah. it's normal. My partner is the founder of the School of Conflict, um, and she basically goes into companies and she creates these amazing spaces for like top executives and team mm-hmm. members and, and members across the board um, to have a space where they can talk about what's really happening mm-hmm. in a super safe space, super safe environment, where she kind of lets everything that needs to be said everything that hasn't been spoken to, which is getting in the way of intimacy, of team uh, communication. And it's honestly, it's mind-blowing. It's amazing what she does. And so when when you see that, it's super vulnerable for leaders because everyone are the same in the room. There's no hierarchy. Okay, there's the role that everyone's going to speak about, but everybody's going to get feedback. And there's no like 360 hidden anonymous feedback. Okay, this is how do you create a culture where people can raise their hand I think I saw Simon Sinek said this yesterday. Or like the other. Anyway, I love this. He said, how do you create a culture where people raise their hand and say, I don't agree. Or actually, I don't feel uh, able to do the task that you ask me. I need uh, additional uh, resources. Actually, I don't feel well. Actually, I don't, can't come in today because I'm not feeling that well psychologically, mentally, whatever you want to call it. How do you create that culture? And that's what drives me. That's what I find fascinating because I think we're in that frontier where people are getting it. People are talking about it, but now it's how do you implement it? And how do you uh, apply self-compassion as you try and apply? Because, you know, know, running a business is super vulnerable. It's scary. You've got people that you're in charge of and that you're supposed to lead. And I'll tell you something. One of the best lessons I've ever heard about leadership is you don't have to have all the answers. You do not need to have all the answers. If you don't know, just say, I don't know. Actually, I need help. Um, I don't know how we're going to do this. Because what happens is that most leaders make up that they have to have all the answers. And what they do is that they completely diminish and and, and play small the talent pool around them, right? Like the minds around them, the the, the gifts around them, that they they basically saying, "I uh, uh, should, should be all me. No, no, you're not good enough. I need to come up with the answers. But if you turn around and go, guys, here's the situation. I want us to be able to create a culture where it's okay for you to come and tell me that you're not enjoying your job and that you won't fear repercussions, uh, you know, humiliation or, or being fired. And actually that... I want us to know that if you leave here, you're leaving because this is not the right opportunity for you. You're no longer aligned with it, not because something we did wrong. That's what you want. And ask your people. I mean, I'd say that like the, the biggest hack to people is sometimes, but most people feel, ah, uh, you know, it's vulnerable, it's scary. So that's why you come in and we
0: help. It is vulnerable. It is scary. Mm. But it's also essential as far as I can see. I can't see. Yeah. It. And it's it feels like what you're talking about, if I could it in a sentence and and we've touched on it all the way along at every yeah. level yeah. is this uh courage to be absolutely your authentic yes. self yeah. and to allow others to be their authentic self even if it might have a discord yeah. with your own authentic self amen that's that absolutely because you know you've got, you've got to understand that
1: um so growing up dyslexic in france in a system that was so archaic and really mean, actually, you know, when I think about the humiliation that I went through as a kid in school, Mm. because I couldn't spell, because I couldn't get the the essays right in French. And so I was made wrong, like my entire childhood growing up. I, I was held back a year. I was kicked out of school. I was told I was never going to do anything. And so you're being told constantly that you don't fit in the mold. And I was very lucky that I had this inner fire inside of me that was like, you know, basically sticking the middle finger at them and going, I will be who I will be. And I know that I've got a path that is just not as defined as you think it is. And it is yet in my mind, in my heart. And that's why the unconventionalist was born, really. It was about like, whoever you are is fine. Like, obviously you can grow and learn how to have a better impact that you want to have, etc. But I think, you know, if you want to talk about finding your voice as a leader, if you want to think about how to actually have a bigger impact as a company, as an organization, as a leader, own who you are, like, accept who you are, let the world see who you are, and accept others for who they are you know it's like because it, it but it has to start with you I think it's very hard to like we talk about oh, I want you to bring your full self but am I bringing my full self to work and I'll tell you what mm. one of the best gifts I had recently in the last few years was Sophie Miller um, I co-led a, a, a program with her and she was the a, a employer so she was representing an organization and I came in as, as a freelance contractor and we were co-creating this program together and she's amazing and we did it for 12 weeks and We created such a level of trust and honesty from day one. I remember we shared assumptions and stuff like that. We shared some really deep and meaningful stuff very quickly. And eventually we would come to a place. I'd be like, I don't want to be here tonight. Actually, I'm not feeling it. I'm really tired. I'm groggy. I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. And she'd be like, yeah, awesome. Cool. I get that and me too, whatever. And then if she wasn't, and then we'd say, how can we create from that? How can I support you in that? Can you, ima- like, can you imagine the difference between? Beautiful. You know, I forgot we said this, but someone—it's not me. Someone's much smarter than me. Said, uh, imagine these two different scenarios. You go into a room, and you go, um, you know, Paul. Um, you haven't been delivering in the last quarter. Your numbers are down. I don't know what's going to happen to you if you don't shape things up and change things around. Versus, Paul, your numbers are down. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds. So silly, but for some reason, I don't know where along the way we went down this path of thinking that when you start a business, when you run a business, when you work in a business, we suddenly become non-humans. We suddenly stop caring about the people around Mm. us. I don't care if this is a big organization or a startup, I don't care about this. It's like, why have we suddenly made up that we can't interact as like normal people, treat people as we want to be treated. And in fact, I don't know if you remember the the conversation we heard in in the conference the other day, I thought this was amazing. 50% of the longest lasting business in the world are all Japanese because of the family business method of like amazing yeah and you you remember that metaphor she used about if you're a family member and your kid comes back because they have failed an exam you're not going to fire them from your family (laughs) you're not going to get like (laughs) disown them as parents you're going to try and help them give them support you know and and i think you know again i don't want to quote james you know ledge again but because i had an interview yesterday you know firing should be the ultimate last resort right and you know this this quote that kills me is people don't quit companies people quit people yeah. You know, people quit managers, and I think, and I think I would love to come to a place where people go, "Hey, I've had an amazing time here. Thank you so much for whatever everything you've given me. I've grown tenfold I could never imagine, but it's time for me to move on." And then the other person go, "You know what? Thank you, and you, you've done an amazing job here. How can we support and help and let me transition you? We need to get someone in, etc." You know, I, I use this metaphor a lot, but basically there's a great book called Legacy um, about the All Blacks, right? Where well, how they managed to build one of the highest performing sport culture in the world, the most successful sport franchise ever. They've won 75% of all their games in the last 125 years. People go to see their games, not to see if they win, but how much they'll win. And one of the things they have is this thing called um, uh, leaving the jersey in the better place than you found it. Okay? Yes. So I translated that to the company and the corporate world. And when I go into companies, I say, imagine if your role as a leader and your only role as a leader was to make sure that everyone who came in your organization left as a better version of themselves and they walked in. And what if you, as an employee, as someone who goes to a company, your role was to leave that company in a better place and you left it? What if we approached that dynamic and we came from that place? What would be different then? And I think we'd have very different decisions, you know?
0: Beautiful. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Thank you cool. so much. Of course. of course. That this has been totally inspiring. Um I'm I am left completely speechless and without (laughs) questions so I can only say first of all thank you and for uh, the people listening thank you too because I'm sure you've inspired some people here Um, I feel completely inspired Um, so people listening to this they now definitely want to speak to you and bring you into their organisation to work this magic so how how do they find you?
1: Yeah so so, um, obviously I'm on Instagram I'm social media at Mark if they want to connect me on there Uh, if they want to connect me by um, website it's marklaoost.com Com. they can find all the forms to connect with me and uh, it'd be an honor to go and, and, and do some work with them and their teams and the leaders and and let's uh, together change the world
0: <laughs> let's do that and make sure you do get in touch yeah. with mark because you know he's awesome he's doing some awesome work yeah. mark thank you so much
1: thank you so much for having me thank, thank you honour.
0: so that was mark larousse see what i mean what a guy oh just love that conversation so many nuggets of wisdom and so much sort of practical so what does happen when you put purpose at the core of your business and mark's lived that and he's lived that with so many organizations i was really grateful to have that conversation with him hope we get to do it again sometime so yeah thank you mark i hope you've really enjoyed this too my, I think my takeaway was uh, that Jim Carrey quote, which I'm sure I'll butcher even further. But I wish that people would become rich and famous and successful so they can find out that that's not the answer. Purpose is first. When purpose is first, everything flows. And sometimes we do have to hit rock bottom to find that out. And I hope that you don't have to find, hit rock bottom to find that out, that you're feeling the, the vibe of what can happen in an organization where, when when you put purpose at the core of what you do. Check out Mark LaRousse at m-a-r-k-l-e-r-u-s-t-e.com if you want to find out more about Mark his unconventionalist podcast is awesome this show was brought to you by my company Remote we're a custom software development company we help organisations to scale up and amplify their positive impact in the world using technology so if that's something you're interested in remote.online is the place to go also my site paulmcgilvery.com you can find the link in the show notes so check that out and hit subscribe and share this around if you enjoyed what you just heard slash saw and if you feel someone else would benefit from that yeah please do share that would be awesome until next time goodbye